AVXL episode 192 was recorded on November 6, 2022. A sweet bargain on a great 85-inch TV. Rune 2.0 goes mobile. NAD's 50th anniversary. Sonos fixes some sub-issues. There's so much going on at Netflix. And let's talk about luxury Bluetooth noise-canceling headphones for Morgan, huh? All that and so much more. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, seriously, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear. No matter what your budget is, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. Woohoo! <laughs> I had a thought. Yes. After walking through Costco earlier today in search of food, because my children keep eating food. You are brave. I never go there on the weekends if I can avoid it. Well, that's the thing about, you know, working an eight to four. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> At yeah, a place. I understand. Conveniently, they've just built a fourth Costco in the St. Louis area, uh, St. Louis Metro. All of them seem to be west of the Mississippi on the MO side, none in the Illinois side. But uh, they just built a fourth one, which is way like half the distance of the other three, which are way out in the county. This one's right relatively close by in University City. I mention all of this because I, I won. I'm going to have to go to one of the ones out in the county to take a look. But I was kind of surprised that there weren't a whole lot of televisions. By holiday standards. I will also say it is the beginning of November, not the end of November. So we may be pre-Black Friday giant stock of television mayhem. But my thought is supply chains have gotten better. But if you're serious about buying a television this holiday season, you might want to pick that up early if you've got a place to stash it where the children won't find it or your husband won't find it or your wife won't find it or whatever person you're planning on surprise where you won't find it if it's a special gift for you. But uh, keep an eye out. We also got a couple of products, uh, a couple of things, not so much products, but a couple of things that will help you make sure you're not getting stomped on on Black Friday because sometimes the Black Friday prices are not legit. Seriously. Uh, well, if you're looking for bargains. I will say my local Costco was well stocked with TVs when I last visited, including a lot of 2022 models, which is always nice to see. And in particular, they had the latest yeah. and greatest LG C2 series OLED televisions. If you are so inclined to buy it locally, that's uh, generally speaking, Costco or the, a store like that will have, very competitive pricing, and you have that advantage of buying local with local support if that makes you more comfortable for the buying process. Always a plus. Those TVs are identical to the retail version you would find in the stores other outside of uh, an environment like Costco, <laughs> save for sometimes very specific things, like it may have one fewer HDMI ports, or it may not support wireless speaker technology that the the otherwise uh, well-distributed C2s that are in the other marketplaces uh, will have at. Because you can also tell it's going to be a Costco model by the actual brand name. They'll they'll sneak a C somewhere into the, the product <laughs> uh, model number, just so you know that it's not identical, at least. Or it's, it is a Costco version or a Costco TV. But generally, as far as picture performance and everything else goes, it's going to be identical to what you would find. It, be yeah. it you buy it online or in another store, another retail environment, so to speak. And speaking of good deals, I actually had somebody who was shopping with about a $1,000 budget, and we were trying to keep that 
under that target. And Costco actually had one of the new 7 Series Hisense televisions. Looking over the reviews for it, it's not going to compete directly with something like their more premium 8 Series that offers up to about 1,500 plus nits of light output. But you still get great color, good light output for HDR and other things like that at a price point that was well under $700. So it left a little wiggle room for maybe adding some additional things like maybe a soundbar or whatever. But one of my favorite uh, value TVs out there in the world is the TCL 6 series. And one new thing that popped up recently was that they snuck in an 85 inch version. And that is really uh, a quantum dot based LCD television with mini LED backlighting system. So you get good granularity with full array local dimming. And that provides just a good picture quality at a great price. Now, the 85 inch I see currently listed at Best Buy for a cool $2,000. And if you consider that compared to something like the LG C2 that I had just mentioned, LG has that for an 83 inch screen size for about $4,000 currently. So this is literally about half the price with impressive light output, a quantum dot color like I probably just mentioned. And it's one of my favorite Roku powered TVs out there right now. And if you're looking for that extra big screen, I think this is a great balance between like high performance at a decent price. The only downside to TVs like this one, and maybe something like that Hisense 8 series I just mentioned, would be the off-axis viewing performance. These, if you're really picky about image quality, if you sit off to the side quite a bit, you will notice that the picture gets a little washed out uh, compared to something like an OLED or even a very ultra-premium, say, Samsung LCD in their QLED lineup. If Is it still QLED? I don't recall. But anyway, they're, they're premium quantum dot televisions, like including the new 900B series from Samsung that include filtering technology that actually spreads the picture out in terms of that uh, a widening of the viewing sweet spot, so to speak. So, but anyway, if you are looking for a big TV with good performance at a price about half of what an OLED is or an, or an ultra premium LCD, consider that TCL six series in the 85 inch screen size that just popped up. Also be aware that when you're shopping for TCL televisions, especially that six series at any size, Take a good look at the model number in particular. Uh, for the 2022 TVs in the 4K resolution in the 6 Series, that is referred to as the R655 model. If it is listed as anything less than that, like R645 or whatever, you are likely looking at a 2021 or prior model, which may be out there still uh, at a very good price. But just be aware that if you want the latest and greatest, it's going to be that R655. Nothing wrong with that, people. No way. So uh, something we haven't had a chance to talk about is Rune 2.0. That is the audio file player for music fanatics. It's essentially an audio server and playback software. Uh, you have to pay for it, which makes people whine. I don't want to get into that. Uh, I am a, I am definitely a music fanatic and an audio nerd, and I think Rune's pretty sweet. Um, there are some cool free alternatives, but for some of the stuff I like to do, Rune's kind of amazing. Something I did not expect them to deliver with Rune 2.0, perhaps because I was not paying close enough attention, but they have finally delivered a mobile app for Rune 2.0, uh, Arc allows you to stream your Rune collection. For example, if you have 15,000 FLAC files at home and uh, you have always wanted to have access to those anywhere, 
Feel free to email askadavixcel.com when you have the comments of the various and sundry services that have done this in the past that may or may not still exist, or the fact that you've been doing this all the time because you have a slick server in your house. But uh, Rune 2.0 adds ARC, which allows you to stream your Rune collection outside your house to your home phone. There seems to be a bit of fura over Rune 2.0 that it needs an always-on internet connection, even if you aren't streaming remotely. A lot of people find that annoying. Um, you know, because they have a giant collection of files and they don't use Cobas or Tidal and they don't want to give their machine a full-time uh, connection to the internets. But uh, I'm just starting to play around with this and we will talk more about this over the next week or two. Some other news that came out recently at Cedia uh, was the Modulus M2 high-performance UHD 4K movie server. ModulusMediaSystems.com. I think they actually have a new website now. Um, very, very curious about Modulus M2's claims of being, quote, the DVR for the streaming age. They're saying they can record from cable or antenna TV or commercial streaming services or import UHD 4K Blu-ray discs and watch them and enjoy them again and again and again. So on one hand, like, oh, does Kaleidoscape have competition for the high-end streaming server for people that don't want to hack together stuff, you know, out of open source or various other tools? Right. The other thing I got question I have is, you know, the cost and the licensing and how do they make this work? Because the idea of, say, recording, if Netflix can't release a paid streaming tier without having to renegotiate their playback licenses for a ton of videos, how is a small startup out of Austin, Texas <laughs> going to make this happen? So yes. I'm not, you know, I am, as always, we are curious. We're going to learn more. And I, this also seems like a good time to check in on Kaleidoscape. It's a little more high end than we usually cover, but essentially what Kaleidoscape has done is allow you to do what Rob has always done, uh, but with an official box and fancy system instead of a bunch of open source tools, which is to put your disk collection, you know, pull the bits off the disk, put them on a server to make them easy to access. Totally. So. With a cool looking interface and the questions you mentioned too, just regarding how it is they're actually handling things like streaming services and being able to, I assume, yeah. copy that content. Anyway, I, I can't wait to learn a little bit more about that. It is yeah, I am fascinated. Because <laughs> I will say, Kaleidoscape, who's been around for a while, they consider themselves the ultimate movie player and the only digital provider of movies with lossless audio and full reference video quality. Mm -hmm. So, and I will say the picture of the home theater on the front of the Kaleidoscape website at kaleidoscape.com, stunning. Stunning, people. If you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Apple dropped the third generation of the Apple TV 4K. Um, lower price, smaller box, HDR10 Plus support has been added to the existing 4K Dolby Vision support. Samsung television owners rejoice. Uh, of course, it's as, as it has been, it is HDR and all that good stuff. Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision. The uh, price has dropped. The 64 gigabyte version is 129 bucks. The 128 gigabyte version is 149 bucks. Both come with the A15 Bionic chip up from the A12 in the previous generation. Uh, Apple says it's 50% faster and you're getting 30% more GPU power. People who have been hands-on with it say it's a bit snappier. Like if you do side-by-side, -side, uh, the, the new one is definitely faster than the old one, which makes sense because Apple's doing crazy stuff uh, in terms of advancing the performance of their chips. I think the biggest difference in a lot of ways is the A15 is passively cooled. It doesn't require any kind of active cooling or fans, so uh, that's why they have the smaller box. 
Heads up, you only get Ethernet on the 128 gigabyte model. Uh, that $149, basically for an extra 20 bucks, you get an Ethernet jack, and you also get the thread radio if you're thinking about HomeKit and Matter. So for me, I'm really glad to have discovered that because A, I like to connect everything by Ethernet, and B, uh, having HomeKit in the Apple TV has solved any of a number of streaming issues throughout my house. Uh, right. And, uh, so it's it's worth knowing. Also, as Matter gets more real, probably going to be talking about that but if you're curious about matter just favor email ask at avxl.com and say tell us more about matter what is this magic <laughs> um one last bit of uh new product news um nad's 50th anniversary is this year uh i have used nad products on and off literally pretty much my entire life at least going back 30 years and the C3050LE is kind of an homage to NAD's 3030. LE equals limited edition. Uh, 1972, I believe, is when the NAD 3030 came out. So there's going to be uh, 1,972 units for $1,972 each to celebrate that 50th anniversary Aww. for NAD, which I believe would be 1972. Um, or maybe I'm just missing the math on all this. Pretty nice update from the original. I mean... One of the things that's come out is some of any of these products from like 25 years ago, for example, some of the power amps I have, I've seen some measurements on them and they are one, incredibly powerful, uh, especially in peak transients. And two, they're fairly quiet. Um, in fact, they're quieter than a lot of modern amps because NAD was really paying attention to a lot of good stuff there. The one that I saw that was tested, I think by Audio Science Review, had also been recapped and gone over. Uh, and they've, you know, if you see like a 2021 power amplifier from NAD floating around at your your local garage sale, Craigslist, whatever, it may require a replacement to a relay inside of it because they were kind of notorious for these relays dying out long before the amplifier itself died out. But all that blathering aside, um, this is a pretty nice update. It's class D amplifier. Uh, all the modern trimmings you'd expect from a nice integrated amplifier, including a subwoofer output, which I really want to see on every amplifier period uh, moving forward in my life. 100 watts per channel, a hybrid digital UCD uh, for the amplification, uh, Blue OS streaming, MDC 2.0 module, a Tidal Connect, Spotify Connect, Apple AirPlay 2, room ready. I could go on, but I'd put Rob to sleep and probably myself. Uh, yeah. 32 bit, 384 kilohertz TI PCM 5242 base DAC circuit, which you can feed via eARC over HDMI or uh, coaxial or Toslink connections. Uh, it's got a photo stage. I mentioned the subwoofer outputs, uh, two pair of loudspeaker binding posts. It's got preamp outs if you decide you need more power later on in life. Um, it's good stuff. And a dedicated headphone amplifier built in, which hopefully has decent performance. But if you want 70s styling, but with more contemporary performance or you look at the cost of some of the vintage gear and your you the blood drains from your face because something you used to see at garage sales back in the day for a hundred bucks is now selling for, you know, two thousand dollars on eBay or Etsy. Uh, this is one path to that. So. Analog meters, it all looks so good. It would integrate your old gear or uh, quite a bit of old gear with the latest features yeah. and any new gear you may have. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. If it's something you're looking for, an upgrade that brings along your classic hardware, this oh is a. Uh, yeah. I love the face on this particular device. That 3050 LE is just. 
quite the it's, nice. They, they nailed the vintage style. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there's the amps I bought when I first moved. When I first moved to San Francisco, my speakers and my amplifier were missing. So I went to a a audio shop and I picked up a set of BMW 601s and the NAD Power Envelope 2100, a pair of them, uh, amplifiers. These things are beasts. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. Wait, does uh, NAD actually stand for New Acoustic Dimension? Or is that, that just is a my play understanding. on... Okay. I, I, I don't know why I never even asked what NAD might have stood for, but that that is in a beautiful uh, cursive script on the front of the new 30, 3050. And uh, <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah. I, uh, NAD, it's, it's even there in the Wikipedia article. NAD is an abbreviation for New Acoustic Dimension. Founded in London, England in 1972 by Dr. Martin L. Borish, an electrical engineer with a PhD in physics. Its most favorite product is the late 1970s NAD 3020, which is actually a pretty amazing amplifier. Um, and they still sell for a pretty penny used. So if you see any NAD gear, a lot of their stuff actually is pretty spectacular. Um, Very cool. Yeah, that, uh, that 2100 I was talking about, 200 watts into 8 ohm, 250 watts into 4 ohm, 330 watts. Uh, the short-term power is 330 watts into 2 ohms. But, uh, uh, yeah, good stuff. Cool. <laughs> Continuous output is a more conservative 60 watts into 8 ohms. But let us not get into a deeper discussion of my aging audiophile gear because... You know what? I'm not even going to pick up that topping amplifier and how ridiculous the performance is. Dude, uh, what's going on with uh, Sonos and the ARC and the sub and the true play issues they were having? Well, uh, as reported by The Verge, it seems that some Sonos sub owners were miffed about a recent firmware update uh, a few months back. And it appeared that this firmware update had taken some of the oomph out of their Sonos subs. Well, uh, if you are a Sonos owner of the sub hardware and you haven't fired up the app in a while, now is a good time to do so. There is version 14.18 that seems to have addressed this particular problem and is making for very happy Sonos owners out there. Uh, I personally would just suggest that it, I would run that update on your speaker hardware, get everything up and running with the latest and greatest Sonos firmware, and then go ahead, and if you are using something like TruePlay, using an iOS device to do the room calibration, run it again or rerun it after doing mm -hmm. this update and ensure that you are getting the most out of your hardware. I, for one, as a person who has an ARC and their sub, I adore that combination personally. It is just one of my favorite easy wireless, quote-unquote, speaker setups you can add to any display system and really enjoy it. Speaking of that setup... I recently had a pair of Sonos One speakers come into my uh, acquisition, so to speak, and I had an old pair of speaker stands for my rear channels that I was not using, and I wanted to use them with the Sonos Ones. But it turns out there's no mount hole on the Sonos One, uh, so you have to go with a third party or a first party. Sonos does actually make speaker stands and mount products for their speakers, of course. But in order to use something I already had, I was looking for basically a, a bracket that would hold that Sonos speaker, the Sonos One in particular, uh, to my existing speaker stand. And I found a great product from a good company called Soundbase based out of the UK. And they have created what is effectively a wall mount bracket for the Sonos One. This really is made to just 
fixed to a flat wall, and it comes with the hardware necessary to make that a simple process. But I needed that bracket because it looked perfect for attaching and providing basically a mount point for the speaker to my existing speaker stand. And I went ahead and uh, quickly did it up with a nice heavy-duty zip tie. <laughs> I think it came out fantastic. If I were looking for a set of uh, brackets just to hang speakers on the wall, uh, in particular Sonos Ones, I wholeheartedly recommend these. The price was right when you buy them in pairs. I think uh, two of them cost me 35 bucks. They came shipped very nicely. It was easy to set up. Uh, they come in black or white to mount the particular color of your Sonos One speaker or your One SL, of course. If I had only one complaint, it's just that I had to kind of come up with my own mounting hardware to use them in a non-traditional mm. way, not not being wall-mounted, so to speak. These come with literally uh, screws made to tie it into a stud or something like that or, right. or to a wall structure of some kind. Instead, I would either have to go get my own fasteners or you can do what I did and just use a nice... A uh, discreet zip tie in the right place, and it worked just fine for my setup. And I like the way they look. I like the way they're they're now slung in the back of the room, adding a little bit of surround and oomph to my uh, Sonos setup. And if you've never considered nice. using something like the Ones or the One SLs, or even uh, I want to say those speakers you love so much, the either the picture frame styled ones you can get at IKEA or any of the other Sonos speakers that can be paired with their sound bars. Yeah. Do so. Experiment with that if that's something you're into and you're looking for a little uh, improvement to room audio. Symphonis, that's the IKEA bookshelf oh, speaker, picture frame, and lamp. Those are fairly, you know, for surround channels, those would be fairly painless to blend in a lot of places compared to the bolting the SL to the wall or the Sonos One or the Sonos Play One to the wall. I was surprised at how much the sub added to my listening experience. And I've also experimented with the sub <laughs> mini as well. It is also a very fine speaker product. It's just, you know, of all people, I think I should have realized that, yeah, I should have had a sub a long time ago. And, and the rear channels for this setup are fantastic as well. I guess the most premium setup you could go with Sonos would be having something like the Arc up front with one or two of their sub-gen threes, plus a couple of their fives. That, I think, would be like, okay. That That is, for a larger room, could be like the ultimate in terms of doing a wireless surround sound system with things like Dolby Atmos support. But either way, check out those speaker brackets. I'll put a link to those uh, speaker brackets I mentioned in our show notes. I like the simplicity of that design. And yeah. if I have any issues using that in the next few months, I'll be sure to mention that. Uh, but so far, it looks like exactly the thing I needed just to repurpose some otherwise very adequate and decent speaker stands I had to work with a speaker that doesn't include a mount hole or a mount point uh, built into it. I was laughing because you pointed that out. And I was like, well, if they if they had a mount point on the speaker, how would they sell you the $59 Sonos wall mount for one 1SL Play 1? You buy a pair for $99. Uh, one of the right. mounts that's been out for a while, uh, Sanus, who makes a ton of speaker stands and mounts, they make the adjustable Sonos wall mount. A pair of those is 60 bucks. There's probably a half dozen or so different brackets out there. They kind of come and go. And uh, there's a couple different stands for the one one SL play one. Those are the the single standalone speaker. I think Leon's tone case for Sonos speakers. I think you saw those with me at CD a few years ago. It's like the still most amusing one. It's essentially a hardwood box that fits around your Sonos speaker. It's like 200 bucks for the box. 
which does include a fabric grill. It makes your Sonos one look like a, a traditional speaker, albeit a very small one. And that's another 125 bucks for the wall mount. It's a little spendy, but it is very stylish if you're looking for a way to make your speakers blend into a room. That would be what it's for. Otherwise, you're putting your baby yeah. in a box at that point. And I, I'm <laughs> curious to see how that changes the the acoustics the of the product. Measuring then, that would be interesting. Yeah. I'm a little, uh, a little nervous on that one. Anyway. Oh, goodness. Oh, so, uh, you know, Apple's going to be moving to USB-C, basically to keep the EU happy. And uh, EU's got some energy regulations uh, on television power consumption, too, coming up. Right. Just a quick mention. You may have seen stories floating around in the news uh, recently, at least online. I saw a bunch of them where people were declaring it was the end of any uh, bright TV in the future in terms of, at least in the EU, where they, like very similar to what we have here in North America, uh, we have energy regulations in terms of the default picture setting. Like when you when you take a brand new TV out of the box, it's gonna be in an energy saving mode that is not the right. brightest it can possibly be. And in fact, you generally will go and turn that off as one of the very first things you do <laughs> to get full performance out of it. And unlike some of the reporting I saw that was implying that you simply will not be able to buy a bright TV or a TV that could say do two, three, four thousand nits or so in the near future or or 8K is dead because of whatever, that is not the case. It will simply be a requirement that they ship in a mode that is energy saving or at least energy efficient to a certain standard for a given size, very similar to our Energy Star programs here in North America. And it's going to be as easy to fix as simply diving into the menus, disable that power savings mode, and ignore the warnings, of course, and enjoy. Enjoy the product as you would expect you should be able to uh, in terms of a high-performance HDR experience or Dolby Vision experience with whatever high performance you can get out of a particular product. There shouldn't be this suddenly kneecapping of displays going forward into the future especially for our our eu friends or us in north america we we all know what this was about and it it is not a a fix fix in in terms of it being permanent and unchangeable it's just simply how it ships in a default mode and it should be one of the first things you uh take a look at and tweak yeah, I was going to say, that's like the first thing we're telling people to do when they get a new television is to take it out of the sunburn, oh-so-blue, oh-so-facial sunburny, you know, vivid mode that's designed specifically for being stacked in racks of televisions at your local uh, big box store. That would be <laughs> if perhaps you had accidentally enabled the store mode on your TV. That might be something to be right. aware of. But on most TVs, if you enable the quote-unquote home mode, when you do the initial setup, it will default to an energy-saving mode of some kind to dim the screen, either based upon a room light sensor or just a mode that is not at perhaps half the brightness of what the TV might be capable of. And it's up to you to actually select a different picture mode with the menus or go in and just simply disable that power savings feature. And then you will get full performance out of your new display. And it's just something to keep in mind. I I, I don't think there's going to be any any legislation anytime soon anywhere in the world where they're going to say, oh, no, you can't have a TV that'll do 2000 nits at 300 watts of light on an 85 inch screen or something like that. Or, or, you know, it's not going down that route. It's just that by default, (laughs) we're going to save a little energy. And then the option is there if you really want it. But at the same point, if you want all the light in the world, 
or all the performance out of your new product, it's there and it's available. You just have to make the right nice. settings choice. And it's something I currently have to deal with every time I calibrate a TV. The very first thing I have to do is go in and turn off all of that automated energy efficiency stuff that just might get in the way of me actually getting the raw pure performance out of the TV before I configure it to look perfect. Make it perfect. Yes. And speaking of one of my favorite streaming services in the world, Netflix. And for our UK viewers out there, you should be aware that, quote, Netflix viewing figures are to be independently verified for the first time. I'm quoting a Forbes article that recently came out. The deal just completed between Netflix and UK's Broadcaster Audience Research Board, or BARB, a deal that's doubtless connected to Netflix's new $6.99 Basic with Ads tier, which will surely be followed in the coming weeks and months by similar deals with BARB-like entities in other territories. Founded by major players in the UK TV and advertising industry, Barb independently collates TV audience ratings, covering a broad remit of criteria, including who's watching, who they're watching with, what they're watching, <laughs> when they're watching, how the content's being watched, or how it's got to the screen, and even which screen <laughs> viewers are watching on. An approach Barb calls 360-degree audience view. We will know oh, it all. Goodness. This does not surprise me at all, though. No. Any streaming service is already aware of exactly <laughs> what it is you're watching. Otherwise, they couldn't deliver right. the content to you. And the fact that they may be tying it into, say, uh, whose account it is and how many people they're aware of within that household and other information like that. I'm hoping it's not doing something like automating perhaps yeah. a microphone that might be in the room and counting people that way or I, or I, worse I, I, let's let's just assume that, that <laughs> it's not let's just assume at this point that that netflix wants independent verification of its distribution because they want advertising dollars for that basic with ads tier totally there'll be enough time to be horrified by whatever else is going on later <laughs> and if that's not already here in north america i predict that will come sooner than later well you're you know, the, as we've mentioned, there's you know one of the main revenue generation streams for television manufacturers is keeping tabs on what's actually playing on your screen. But that's a conversation for another day. Uh, Netflix profile transfer is now available, which essentially means that uh, Netflix is gently suggesting that you move folks you share a path forward with to their own accounts. Um, you know, back on October 18th, uh, they did a quarterly earnings statement. And Netflix announced that sometime early in 2023, they would start charging you a fee if people that live outside your household were using your Netflix password. They know where you live, people. Um, so, yeah, if you don't want to pay for the extra folks that have your password, uh, you can change your password and lock them out. Uh, and you can be particularly nice and let them migrate their profile off of your device Given that there are four people in my family with wildly disparate viewing habits, it might behoove me to finally put everyone on their own account <laughs> yeah. so that if the children ever move out of the house, they can take their Netflix viewing profile with them. But yeah, if you don't want to pay for extra people, uh, give them a chance to migrate off your device. And uh, I also wonder what my profile would look like, my feed would look like if I didn't share netflix with the children digital trends has a very nice very detailed write-up netflix to crack down on password sharing starting in 2023 why don't you have your own account already i don't know lazy yeah pure laziness sir i believe it <laughs> apparently because <laughs> the app starts and they hit the button and and why would they i think also because it was well we won't talk about the children's section of uh netflix it's too strange 
Netflix Basic with ads should be here. Uh, it's supposed to launch. Basically, it's supposed to be live in the U.S., Australia, Brazil, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Korea, Mexico, Spain, and the U.K. Uh, seven bucks a month in the U.S., six bucks a month in Canada, five pounds a month in the U.K. They're talking about four or five minutes of clutter, uh, which is the television term uh, for things that are not programming. Basically, four to five minutes of ads per hour. Some shows and movies will not be available because they're negotiating with, uh, basically they're renegotiating contract uh, with copyright holders. Interesting. You get one device at a time. It is 720p max, which I have feels about, but uh, I also understand wanting to save money and that if you're far enough away from the TV, you probably won't see a difference. The rest of the plans from Netflix pretty much stay the same, though, uh, again, basic starts at 720p, 1280 by 720 up from the current QHD which was, I think, like 960 by 540. That got me down a rat hole that didn't really hmm. satisfy me. But apparently uh, the basic plan was fairly low res. But basic with ads, uh, they call it watch in HD, which is 720. Basic is 720, watch in AD. Standard is full HD, and premium is ultra HD, or what we like to call 4K. Oh, yeah. You know, as your plans go up, you get more devices. Basic, you get one device, uh, ad-free, 720p. Standard, you get two supported devices simultaneously, uh, 1080p. And you also get downloading with the basic standard and premium. Premium, you get four supported devices, 4K, and all the trimmings. The other thing that happened, uh, YouTube Premium is going from... $18 to $23 a month for the six-account family plan. Uh, 95Google says, uh, quote, the original YouTube Red family subscribers that were grandfathered into $14.99 a month plans these past few years will be getting a $23 price hike, but not until April, according to the email they got. I will say that YouTube without ads is very, very nice, especially as they seem to pump things up to have more ads, or at least it feels that way. Uh, individual accounts are still going to be $12 or $11.99 a month. Speaking of pricing, Rune Labs, I forgot that Rune Labs actually has a monthly option now, right? They have lifetime billing for 700 bucks. It's uh, 120 bucks billed annually. And then uh, if you don't want to pay 120 bucks after your trial subscription, you can pay $13 a month billed monthly. So just All right. a shout out about that. Very cool. I mentioned earlier in the show that Black Friday's coming up. I have not used FakeSpot since it went from a website to a browser plugin, because I just don't really feel like sharing everything I do in my browser with whoever FakeSpot is. Uh, but I have been trying out ReviewMeta.com lately to evaluate how legit Amazon ratings are. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, do me a favor, email askedavexcel.com or tweet at Patrick Norton. But uh, it's nice to have a, you know, if I'm looking at something, for example, like an HDMI converter or a switch or something, and I'm wondering if these reviews are legit, um, Review Meta gives you an alternative to my beloved fake spots. Uh, and if you get closer to Black Friday and the holiday shopping season, um, do yourself a favor, television, you know, AVR, speakers, headphones, whatever you're shopping for. Uh, if you're thinking about possibly buying it off of Amazon, go to camelcamelcamel.com and search for it now. Uh, because we have seen in the past where a product that has quite an extensive history, you know, months or years of data, suddenly magically has a new skew and no pricing history right before Black Friday, Indeed. which means you don't really know if you're getting a good deal or the same deal or that they elevated the price before, quote, cutting, unquote, the price for Black Friday. Um, but check camelcamelcamel.com now. 
get a heads up on that. Something to think about. I think I have like a sixth sense regarding people's reviews on services like Amazon. If they've received it for free, there's almost a certain cadence to the whole thing they write where <laughs> they clearly don't have enough skin in the game. And right. sometimes it's, I find it's pretty easy to spot somebody who's just spinning out a review just to make sure that they've fulfilled whatever deal it is that they had so they can continue to receive free products rather than somebody who's really thrown down a, a legit use or what impresses me the most are when people who own these products come back like say a year later and update a review with like hey by the way mm. I, I'm still doing this or I've still I'm still using it it's still great or hey guess what happened I'm changing the review to this because of this and blah 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 but yeah that's yeah, the way it should work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the way it should work, Rob. Take it all with a little grain of salt. I'm just thinking of cases where there's like a couple hundred reviews, and it turns out that maybe 50% of them seem a little advertorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, it's you know once in a while, it, it's it's not as bad as it was for a while. I appreciate my background in this. <laughs> <laughs> In a test lab scenario and reviews for publication yeah. and all of it, because it, sometimes it, it jumps out at me when things seem a little suspicious, so to speak. I hear you. I hear you. Hey, I want to uh, do a quick shout out to all of our patrons. Patreon.com slash AVXL is the place you can go to contribute a little bit monthly to help keep the show going. These are the people who pay the bills that uh, make the show possible. And uh, we have been over the... Over for a while now, we've been working our way from our very first subscribers up through the latest subscribers. And a quick shout out to Container 7, Darth Malventano. I know who that is, I think. Tim Fitzgerald, Adam Choate, and Gregory Callahan, who have been supporters since February, March, and May 2017. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of AVXL. We appreciate that. And a quick shout out, our next patron hangout for our upper tier supporters is going to be Tuesday, November 22nd, 6 p.m., Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, which I guess would be 7 p.m., 8 p.m. Central, because there's mountain in there, too. And uh, if you hear the sounds of a struggle coming over the microphone in the next moment or two, folks, it's because I'm pulling a 21-pound cat off of my desk before he does the terrible thing where he sits on my keyboard. Um, it's not Alt F4. that cat. <laughs> he actually at one point managed to only sit on the print screen button so there you go screen cap over and over again that was really well sure there you go but you know there i had 125 screen caps right. <laughs> oh yeah just doing weird things to my system in any case cat diversions aside we'll get something posted up on the AVXL page on Patreon for everyone so that they're aware yeah. of what's coming up. And we'll tweet some info out too. So make Nobody sure tweets. Everyone posts. knows when our next hangout is. All right. A couple of your questions for you. Jeffrey emailed Ask at AVXL. You want questions? I got questions. Um, and he says, File under won't happen soon, but I want this anyway. An 8K Roku Ultra, or whatever name they give it. Not an 8K Roku TV. Why not? I had what I thought was a good TCL Roku 4K TV, which died very unceremoniously while zwifting. From one corner diagonally to the other, all the pixels shut down. That sounds emotionally traumatizing, um, especially if it was during like a baseball or a football game, because you know that it would be like right before the big play. Jeffrey says, I'm as 8K ready as I can get without having an 8K TV yet. I'm waiting on the prices to drop to reasonable for me and dig out of a little COVID debt first. 
but I already have a nice Morantz 8K rated receiver, so that got me to wondering, why doesn't Roku make an 8K Ultra? The chips are out there, but I guess they don't want to invest in that right now. I probably don't need this considering the distance I view from, but I'm curious. So why doesn't Roku make an 8K Ultra? Why isn't there one out there yet? When will it come out? Is Roku in trouble, and that's why they aren't making one? I own and love Roku's Jeffrey. Um, man. Me too. You know, one, there's just not a demand at this point. There's not enough TVs, not enough content. Two, I I can't imagine, um, you know, if you're thinking about supply chain issues, and we've thought a lot about supply chain issues over the last couple of years, uh, I think they'd be nervous about parts availability. And third, probably most importantly, uh, Roku is currently losing money on all the hardware they sell, uh, which, you know, it's it's a, you know, giving away razors to sell blades situation, right? Because it, uh, having more hardware out there helps Roku make money on advertising. Advertising revenue has dropped like a stone this year for a lot of places. Uh, and as a result, so has Roku's stock value. I would say give it a couple of years, Jeffrey. I think it's too early. Um, and mostly I'm just hoping Roku kind of gets everything stabilized and they keep making hardware that does such a good job. Totally. It would be something completely different if you had services like Disney Plus and Netflix already offering 8K content and you needed standalone devices to be able to provide that service. But there is literally nothing or so little 8K content outside of a service, maybe like a handful of videos on YouTube or something like that. And for the 4K content that is available that can be streamed over the current devices, an 8K TV is going to do a fantastic job upscaling that content anyway. And yeah. as we wait for even broadcast television to make a transition to true 4K delivery of some kind, which I can't believe how bad some broadcast content still looks because mm. it's highly compressed. You're lucky to be even being able to receive it in 720p. Uh, not that it's even 720p to begin with. It was compressed prior to that right. anyway. Yeah, it, it, there is no hurry for an 8K streaming device at this point even for TVs that can support it. The whole point of TVs right now that can do 8K is that they have generally very good processors built into them that will take beautiful 4K content and upscale that appropriately. I Sure, I would love to have it if there was services that I need and want and use that were already delivering it, or if I had like a movie service that was delivering an 8K. But no, it, none of that exists yet, and I just don't even see a reason for it at this point there you go even pc gaming or console gaming it's ak is just a it's kind of a ridiculous thing in terms of having high quality content at that mm. resolution the processing power required to make that look good is just not there and it's going to be a while even with something like say a 4090 rolling on a pc running the latest game out there you're generally not running anything at 8k and having an acceptable experience. So, yeah. And that's too small of a market for anybody to give a damn, especially Roku at this point. However, yeah. I will point out, though, if you do own a Roku, uh, particularly I'm thinking of a couple of their soundbars and the Roku Ultra, that 11.5 update is now out. And I tried out the ability to directly link your Bluetooth headphones right to it directly instead of having to go through a mobile device and then into the Roku. Worked perfectly. Nice and easy. Uh, I tweeted about that a couple weeks ago, and it's just convenient. It's a nice way to add that kind of support 
to your TV if it doesn't already exist. I'm able to be sitting there listening to my soundbar setup and enjoying that. But then if I just simply turn on my Bluetooth headphones that are linked already to my new Roku Ultra, boom, it switches right over to that. And I'm listening through that. And as soon as I turn them off, it goes right back to the soundbar. I got to give them credit for just making that something that should have probably been there months ago or years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, now there and working quite well. Give 11.5 a try if you're rolling with a Roku Ultra and or one of their premium soundbars. It's worth it, especially if you're into uh, listening with your headphones, wireless headphones in particular. Yeah. Got a great question from Morgan. He emailed ask at avxl.com. Hey, guys, this is a little long-winded, but I have a little time on my hands Sunday morning while the kids are waking up, so here goes. I have some random questions and vague musings. Question, with high-end Bluetooth over-ear, or even earbuds for that matter, in your opinion, how big is the diminishing point of returns? I was checking out, drooling over the new Focal Bathys, and began to wonder at what price point do you really stop noticing a difference? While I appreciate that these are better than your standard high-end consumer-grade models, your Sony and your Bose, even to a lesser extent your Apple, I'm having a hard time imagining they're really almost twice as good. Now, if you haven't heard about Focal's Bathys, and hopefully I'm saying that uh, properly, but my French pronunciation is atrocious, so I'm probably not, B-A-T-H-Y-S, is essentially a wireless headphone from Focal, the French audio manufacturer. They are $800 for the pair, which is considerably more expensive than even Apple is getting for the, what seem to be prodigiously expensive AirPods Max, uh, which sell for $550. Morgan says, I've had similar wonders about the B&O H95, which I'm culturally predisposed to like because my mother is Danish. What always stops me from getting those is the thought that you're paying 70% for design, 20% for engineering, and 10% for special sauce. With Bluetooth especially, I've always questioned the price to quality justification, especially in lights of articles like this. And he links to a Tom's Guide article. I just listened to Bluetooth lossless audio for the first time, and here's what happened. And, uh... This is Lee Dunkley over at Tom's Guide. He says, Aptex lossless audio isn't quite the step up in sound quality I anticipated. Anyway, just wondering your collective thoughts. So, Morgan, here's the thing, right? When I, when I look at the Focal Bathys, there's been several sort of basically $800-ish wireless headphones coming around for a while. Um, active noise cancellation. Focal is kind of the latest on this trend. If you want to have a fantastic listening experience, what you want is to be in a room with no noise. And you want to be in a room with no noise because nobody's walking around on the, you know, the, the creaky floor above you or the HVAC isn't going so loud you can hear it or because you can't hear the, the, the noise from the highway side of you. You know, active voice cancellation is fantastic if you work eight hours a day in a server room where there's 10,000 fans going full tilt or if you're on an airplane or if you're driving a particularly loud diesel truck from Reno to St. Louis. Um, you know, because active noise cancellation, what they do is they have microphones essentially that sample the audio outside the headphone and they send an inverse signal to the inside of the headphone or to the amplification, um, to the DAC, wherever it is in there, and they cancel out that exterior noise. Um, it works better at different frequencies than others. The thing about, you know, these $800 beautiful headphones if you like focal's visual cues you're going to love the focal bathies but essentially you cannot run them without active noise cancellation turned on 
in my house where the vintage HVAC system is a little bit annoying, it's fantastic to have active noise cancellation on a wireless headphone because it blocks out the sound of that delete expletive furnace fan thrumming in the background. Right. If I'm trying to listen to my favorite quartet and there's these moments of silence that are critical to the interpretive experience of this classical piece of music, it's annoying as crap to have it in the background, that sort of fuzzy you know, low level noise sound I hear on those. So, you know, if you want to spend $800 for critical listening, I'd buy a set of $800 headphones and spend a hundred or $200 on a headphone, uh, amp or DAC. I mean, the law of diminishing returns is pretty brutal with headphones. You know, I bought a set of Sony MX4s. You can buy them like $228 now. Uh, the Sony WH-1000 XM4. Uh, I wish it was over ear rather than on ear because it, you know, my ears are gigantic and elephant like and they get a little squished after a while. But I have done a lot of listening with those, you know, and on a plane or driving a diesel truck for 10 hours or, you know, being in a server room. It's a fantastic experience. Out of the box, the bass is turned up so high, uh, it's like being stuffed in the trunk of that kid with the giant subwoofer rattling around. But once you adjust the EQ to bring it into a more neutral sound, it's a fantastic experience, especially given, you know, most of the places you're going to be using those, like in a server room or on a plane or in a hotel with a really annoying, you know, air conditioning system, because that's what active noise cancellation is supposed to do. It's supposed to block out those consistent, steady noises in the background that drive you crazy. Um, can you hear the difference between, you know, a $228 set of Sony XM4s and a $550 set of Apple, you know, AirPods Maxes and the $800 folk calls? I don't know. Um, right. I doubt it. And, and what's frustrating for me is, is, you know, full call engineers, some very nice headphones, but in this particular case, as far as I know, you cannot turn off that active noise cancelization, which means there's going to be that sort of thing going on in the background. And if you can't hear it, that's the, that, that hissy noise that always seems to be lingering you know, whenever it's the violinist or the cello player and I'm listening to a quartet or the jazz group stops playing for a second, man, I want to hear silence. Well, I don't want to hear little bits of ANC hiss in the background. That's a feature aspect, though, of Bluetooth headphones in particular. It's right. like, is that function important to you, uh, uh, noise cancellation in particular? And Bluetooth if the headphones to- can be silent. Active noise cancellation always seems to have a little bit of noise in the background because they're always listening with external mics to generate a signal so that they can generate then in the DSP or however they do the processing, right? They have to invert that external noise to create what is fed into your ears to cancel the noise that's coming from outside of them. So they always tend to have that little bit of noise in the background, which to me... Do you want the option to be able to turn that off? And yes, I if do. If you do, then <laughs> the Focals are definitely not the product for you. And that's a nice way to put it. I, yeah. I would love any of the Bluetooth headphones you have mentioned so far, especially if you're connecting to something like my Roku Ultra now that it can actually handle yeah. something like that. And if I am truly looking for a lossless experience, whether or not I can actually hear it, the difference or not compared to a set of Bluetooth earphones with the appropriate content, I'm going hardwired anyway, especially in a home environment <laughs> where Bluetooth really for me is the 
the benefits of it really come to light and shine their yeah. best is in a mobile environment. When I'm traveling, dealing with airplane flights or traveling in a car, if I'm in a server room, perhaps listening to music yeah. or listening to my favorite you know, podcast or what have you, that ability to add some noise cancellation is going to be fantastic. Yeah. And that's something I don't get with my absolutely wonderful and way, generally speaking, more affordable wired headphones. Yeah. If there's one of those products that we've talked about is the one that just really has your attention, I don't think you're going to go wrong with any one of them. Uh, it's just be aware of, you know, what exactly is the use case and the features in particular. And having always on noise cancellation is not something I would care for in a headphone. That to me, at least I want it to be optional. For those moments, I don't need it. Let me cut myself short here. I, I don't think there's as much a difference as I would like there to be between a $230 set of XM400s and a $550 set of you know AirPlay Maxes and an $800 set of Focal Bathies, or in honor of your your Danish heritage, uh, Morgan, uh, a what is it, $900 for a set of Beoplay H95s? You know, I, one, I, I would say, you know, don't spend hundreds of dollars on a headphone you can't turn off active noise cancelization on unless it's just you it's just one of many sets of headphones in your quiver but uh i will also say that this is an area that has in the last year has kind of exploded uh, i think thanks to apple's success with the airpods max is all of the high-end audio vendors are like hey if apple can spend get people to spend this much we can get them to spend more because we're more exclusive than apple is so you know let your budget be your guide the 1000 xm4s that's a pretty fantastic and at that point as you start getting more expensive i start getting more leery you know the xm5 from sony seemed to not have the bloated base out of the box which is nice but uh hopefully this works for you morgan you know spend the money if you want to but i think there's a pretty profound law of diminishing returns on headphones that you can't turn off active noise cancelization on just a thought that's a non-starter for me that would just be yeah. nope I mean, I love that feature sometimes, but not always. And I want to be able to yeah. turn it off, especially if that's my quote unquote daily driver wireless headphones. Yeah. Yeah. Quick heads up uh, Monday, November 14th, the Film Foundation and Delphi Quest will be screening the restoration of John Huston's Moulin Rouge from 1952. Uh, essentially, this is a group that is doing free online streaming events. And actually, it's kind of cool because you not only can watch the film, but you can also kind of experience conversations with the filmmakers and archivists talking about the restoration process for this film. It's going to be available on demand for 24 hours starting at 7 p.m. local time through any web browser. And uh, if you want to have, uh, you know, view the film with a live commentary in the chat, uh, you can you can like listen to the original or watch the 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time New York screening. Uh, and we got a link to that in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Hey, I ended up uh, reinstalling Windows 11. Whew. Exciting, I know. But uh, <laughs> I typically will always do the quick and dirty upgrade in place from the previous operating system, which was Windows 10 in this case. And I will say it is nice to be able to blow out a hard drive and then basically do it all up clean from scratch. Uh, everything is cleaner and snappier. Windows 11 has some annoyances, especially on a clean install. You practically have to hack your way into creating a local account. And I should not be shocked by bloatware in this day and age, but it's now part of the Windows <laughs> experience, including pre-installed apps like Spotify and Disney+, Plus, plus links to a variety of apps like TikTok, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, and other stuff I, I consider crap, or at least it shouldn't be part of a clean OS install. 
And if it's something you've never done, it's easier to do on desktops than it is, say, on a notebook. Notebooks usually require certain specific files to make everything work the way you expect it to mm -hmm. with things like function keys and whatnot. Doing a clean install is a great way just to bring some life back into a computer. And in my case, I've made things pretty easy on myself in the sense that I keep a lot of my data on a separate drive, not the main OS boot drive. So I'm not like rehabbing to download a bunch of crap or or looking to find like my password manager or some games I have downloaded on Steam. I keep all that on a different hard drive completely so that when I do blow out the OS drive, it's pretty much up and running in about 15 minutes. Uh, the key to that, of course, being that you create a Windows installer on a USB thumb drive using the media creation tool available from Microsoft. And as long as you have a key that works, and, and generally speaking nowadays, you don't even need to have your key anymore. You're already right. in the system once you've installed Windows to begin with, and it's just simply a matter of reinstalling the OS as you see fit. But yeah, I'm enjoying it. I, I still have, there are too many things that annoy me about Windows 11 compared to Windows 10 uh, in terms of just multi-monitor use in particular, but things have gotten better and it was nice to actually start fresh. I realized I had a lot of, a lot of cruft in a system that really hadn't been thoroughly cleaned in, a, in several years and it was uh, nice to go back through that and get it all nice and squeaky, so to speak. Squeaky. Yep. Let me not to use that voice again. All right. All right, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Squeaky. Bye. It's all good. Drunken four-year-old voice. In any case, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you got a question for us, email ask at avxl.com, post on patreon.com slash avxl, or tweet at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton or at avxl. And uh, once again, a, a shout-out to all of our patrons and uh Quite frankly, you make the show possible, and we appreciate your contributions. So do us a favor. If you haven't been there in a while, head over to patreon.com slash avxl. If you're not a patron, please consider it. And again, go to patreon.com slash avxl. And with that, yeah, we're going to wrap this one up. I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.